they really don't know us. You know, because they don't want to get to know us. And when I mean us, I mean the the people like myself who've been in jail, who came out of jail, and don't and don't go back. I'm so excited about what you're gonna hear. This is Fluid Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of what equity looks and feels like from varying perspectives. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. My guest today is Mr. Stefan Miller. Mr. Miller runs the organization Reformed Offenders Creating Change. They are a dedicated group of community members that work to build bridges and help their communities thrive with a strong focus on support for ex-offenders during the entry process and for criminal justice reform. We discussed his story, his present work, and his intent to support the formerly incarcerated and address criminal justice reform. It was a great conversation, and you have it right here at Fluid Truth. My guest today is Mr. Safan D. Miller. The D is for David, right, my friend? Uh, yes, it is. And we have him on the show today. It's going to be an amazing conversation. Mr. Miller comes with so much experience and having had experiences that we really want to talk about. So again, welcome to the show. Welcome to Fluid Truth, Mr. Miller. Thank you very much for having me. Um, you know, it's been a long time coming. We've been playing tag for about four months, trying to, uh, you know, get it together. But finally, we both have time to sit down. Let's start from the top. Just okay. give us a little, little intro of who you are okay. and why is your story important? Let's start there. Okay. Well, first and foremost, um, you know, when we first met, um, you met me as Stefan Miller. Um, you know, most people know me, uh, my history here in the city of New Haven. Um, my name is actually Brett David Crawley. Um, I had it legally changed um, later on in my in my life, and I'll get into that. Um, but but anybody who knows me, they know me as as Brett. Um, I've been here all my life. I'm 50 years old. So uh, besides that, my my story is you know I pretty much grew up here in the city. Um, my mother worked. Uh, she was a single mother. Uh, she worked at legal aid for 20 some odd years. Um, you know, she did everything she could to try to keep me on the right path. You know, I, I had great friends growing up uh, in the Florence Virtue area, uh, Orchard Orchard Street. You know, I, I grew up in that area. Um, so, you know, we had a, a tight knit group of, of um, great parents uh, and I had some really good friends growing up over there. Um, but as I got a little bit older, um, by the time I got into junior high school, I started going to Troop Middle School. Um, I started hanging, I started seeing that uh, most of the kids my age were hanging in Ashman Street Project, so I ventured to that area. Um, not only that, but I, I was also an admin member of the Q House, so I was there pretty much all the time, but I never hung in the projects. It was like, I went to the Q House, I went to the Stetson Library, and I went home, you know. Um, but once I started hanging there, I started seeing things differently. Um, being a small person, um, I got picked, I kind of got picked on, but um, they didn't know I could fight. I boxed <laughs> for years at ring one. So, you know, I kind of made my name be, being that I can fight. Even though I was a little guy, I didn't, you know, I didn't let uh, people kind of bully me. 
But, uh, you know, fast forward, you know, I just getting in trouble in the streets, uh, but being kind of protected by my, my, by my mother and her friends didn't help. Um, when it came to the justice system, uh, I kind of got away with a lot of things. Um, I ended up uh, getting um, expelled from middle school and getting sent to like a, a, a reform school, uh, not Long Lane at the time, but um, it was someplace in, in, uh, in Norwalk. Um, you know, so, you know, at, at that time, you know, I, I noticed that, you know, school wise, I was, I was always good in school. You know, I, I never not went to school. I didn't drop out. Um, you know, my mother made sure that, you know, that was still a, a focus, even though I got sent away, it was a school. It was, it was a place that we went and stayed at, um, until I got out of there, I ended up going to long lane as well. Um, and that's when everything kind of, you know, went downhill from there. I, I noticed that, you know, they, they kind of sentenced us there and they, they really had no, they had no plan on what to do with the youth at that point. It was like, okay, we're going to keep you here. Um, we we got to get you out of the city. Um, we got to get you away for a little while, but they really didn't, they really didn't try to help and train us to come back and try to be, be better than we were when we went. It was just like, just some place to put us, um, until we were able to go to jail. <laughs> uh, let's just say that because they wanted to get us, you know, they didn't have a place to put us. They wanted to get us out of the city. You know, they wanted to get us out of the city for various reasons. Um, you know, until we were old enough, to go away for real. They, they, it was really nothing, no, nothing when it came to trying to reform or, or assist you in, in those type of ways. So this, this phrase of the school to prison pipeline, that really rang true for you, huh? Exactly. Because it's like, they, they started giving up on us early. It's like, okay, we're only going to do, but so much. Um, and then it's up to your parents. Or it's up to the next. It's going to be up to the next justice system when you get older. So um, you know, when after I got out of there, I did end up going. You know, I couldn't go to regular school. They put me in urban youth, which was, I have to say, urban youth um, in the '80s was a breeding ground for all of the hustlers, the drug dealers, uh, the shooters. Uh, you know. Everybody from every side of town went there. So these, it was like, it, it's so funny that everybody who I was in that in that school, urban youth, when, when it was on um, um, when it was on Cedar Street, literally everybody that was there. The next phase after they left that school, everybody went away for twenty years or more. Literally, I, I when I when I say that, either either they're dead or they went away for 20 years or more. And when I say that, it's like we all got a chance to know each other, but we were all connecting in a different way, <laughs> trying to um, find another way to, you know, make ends meet at that time. So, but the schooling, the schooling here, I, 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 I never thought that um, it was adequate. They never, and still to this day, I, I have conversations with, with brothers here and we're still talking about DAG. Why aren't these things offered in our schools? We see what's offered in other schools. So we do you feel like the school system failed you? 
Definitely. Not just me, not just, hold on, we won't just say the school system, you know, because they, there was no guidance. There was, there was no, no guidance. There was no push. There was no, you know, I see things differently where my kids are at. My kids live in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Those schools out there are completely different. I don't see that here. And I ended up being sent to, you know, jail. So, um, that's where I got most of my education. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. What were the circumstances to the extent that you're comfortable sharing them? What were okay. the circumstances that brought you there? Um, well, you know, I, I, I was an advocate, you know, drug dealer in the KSI section of New Haven. Um, I was actually, uh, on, on garden, I mean, on Gilbert Avenue at the time. And, uh, there was a murder in the area. Um, you know, they were questioning. There was a, a lot of questions. Um, you know, at the time I was known in the area. So I was approached by officers, you know, they kind of threw me in the car. Um, I was kind of nervous because I had a, <laughs> you know, they didn't pat me down. They just kind of threw me in the car. I had drugs and a gun on me and I was already on probation. Um, so they was trying to take me to the substation on, on Chapel and day street. Um, and my whole thought was, I have to get away. Um, I didn't, I wasn't trying, my intent wasn't to hurt him. Uh, I just wanted to get away. Um, so when he opened the door, I pushed out and we fought and fought and fought. Um, and actually, you know, it's, you know, it's public knowledge. It's in the newspaper. Um, I was, I was beating him. Um, I was beating him and he was screaming for help. Um, two cousins and a brother, um, that was coming off the, off the, uh, off the basketball court assisted him in subduing me, um, until his partner could come out of the substation. Um, and from there it was, <laughs> I, I just say that was two days before my 20th birthday. And the next time I seen the street was, uh, 2001. So from 1992 to 2001, um, until I made parole, uh, but that wasn't the end of my sentence. My sentence was lengthy. Um, it was actually 30 years, uh, with a 10 year, uh, excuse me, 30 suspended after 20 with 10 years, uh, special parole, which I just finished, um, in 2018. So this right here will be, oh, excuse me, 2019. This will be my third year, uh, completely off of any kind of supervision. Um, yeah, finally. Um, but it should have been over a long time ago. Um, while I was, um, while I was on parole, I, I absconded, I went on the run and that's why my, my children are in Massachusetts because we went on a run there with my, my first wife and that's where we were living at the time. Um, and then I turned myself in before my mother passed away. So. As a 20 year old man, having this lengthy sentence, even if it wasn't to the extent that it ended up being, do you remember how you felt? Do you remember your mindset as a 20 year old? You know, at, at the time, um, you know, I was young and I really didn't, you know, I, I had already been there. I've been to jail two or three times already. Um, you know, the, the sentencing guidelines back then were, were also were a joke. Um, you know, there, I don't know if you know, there was what they considered the 10% law back then in the, you know, eighties, early nineties. Um, and that didn't teach us anything either. Uh, like literally, I, I'm sorry to say, I wish I, I didn't get the slaps on the wrist that I did um, that early because I, 
as a young man, I thought it was a joke. I went to jail. I get sentenced to three years and I'm out in 90 days because that's 10% of three years. Um, <laughs> so we, you know, at that time, everybody was laughing at the system, but we didn't realize that the system was going to catch up with us later because all of those convictions were going to haunt us later. Um, you know, we were copping out to just about anything and everything, not realizing what it was doing to our future. Um, and we weren't, we weren't taught those things either. You know, we weren't taught what be such a detriment <laughs> to our future that, that it would still be there and it would still haunt us forever. Um, you know, I'm still, to this day, I'm trying to get pardoned now. Thank you. I have a great friend named Amir um, who's, who's going to be assisting me. Amir, that's why I'm giving you a big shout out. Amir and Mega, listen, he is an amazing man. Not only that, he's a New Haven police officer. Um, and he's also got a story. I hope that you get get a chance to sit down and talk to him. He has an amazing story. You're in the process of trying to get pardoned right now and putting this whole experience in context for you, right? So what was your experience as you were incarcerated? I know we're talking about different years and different instances and different decades, but what was your general experience? Um, <laughs> okay, well, it was... Um, Anybody from the 80s and 90s who've been in jail would know that it was completely different than it is now. Um, during those years, um, the system didn't have control of the inmates. Um, you know, we kind of did what we wanted. Uh, we kind of ran things um, the way we wanted to. Um, got punished, again, slaps on the wrist, but the officers were just as bad as us. There was, everything was more corrupt back then. Everything was, um, everything was a free for all back then. Um, it was just wide open. Um, there was a lot of brutality. There was a lot of violence. Um, there was a lot of CO violence, uh, on, on us inmates, uh, being that, um, I had assaulted a police officer. Um, he was a well-known police officer. Uh, he was a well-loved police officer in the city of New Haven. Um, everybody knows his name is Romano Ratty. Um, he was a he was a beloved officer here. Um, I say it all the time. I wish him no malice. I swear I wish it never happened. Um, a lot of things that I did, I, I regret to this day because I know I had other things that I could have done. Um, I had ways. I had a lot of other things that I could have been doing. I just chose wrong. Um, but because of who he was, I, I got I got the um, <laughs> I got the short end of the stick a lot in jail, um, and not to mention I was only in jail a year before I got falsely accused of assault on a on a correctional officer, and sent to segregation. I had to fight my fight another case um, where they tried to tack on more time, um, and if it wasn't for the fact that the person who really assaulted him. They happened to make a mistake and put me in the cell with him. While we, yeah, that's how God worked. So, look, um, there was a, I was in a riot in, in Carl Robinson, um, March of 1993, only serving one year. Um, a riot jumps off, um, you know, two days, two or three days after that, you know, I get called down to the office. And from that point on, 
they shackled me and take me to Summers Prison, where I've never been. At that time, I've never been to Summers. Um, I've been to Cheshire. I've never been to Summers Prison. At that time, they take me to Summers. And if anybody knows what Summer Prison was back then, that was the prison. Um, that's where everything happened. That's where the murders, that's where that's where the lifers were. That's where death row is. Um, that's where all of that was. And I went to segregation. I went straight to F block um, administrative segregation where I had a hearing and was found guilty in jail um, of assaulting the CO. From that point, they sent it to an outside court. And while I was in there, it just so happens that this guy, William, I wish I could remember his last name, but his name was, I just remember his big will. And he was from Bridgeport and he just, you know, I'm telling him the story. I just happened to tell him the story. I'm showing him the, you know, the, you know, the, all the paperwork. And he's like, are you serious? He's like, yo, look, I've got the same charge. I've got the same thing. We're getting charged for the same thing. He said, it was me. He says, I'm look, it's, it's a, literally it was written up pretty much the same way that he got kicked in the back of the head and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And, and if it wasn't for him signing an affidavit saying, you know, cause he was, you know, he was already about to plead guilty for his, for the situation. Anyway, he pled guilty and, but I still had to spend three years. I ended up spending three years in segregation because they wouldn't let me out. <laughs> yeah. Your stories. I, I can't even believe it right now, but tell me and inform me and enlighten me segregation. What's that environment? What's that mean for anyone who has not had any experiences with the term? Share a little bit with us, please. Okay. Um, in summers at the time, um, there was two levels of segregation. There was administrative segregation. That's where you get sent to for six months to a year or longer. Um, if you get found guilty, um, in the judicial board of the prison system, you know, you, you'll go in front of, you know, the captains, the lieutenants or whoever, um, if they find you guilty for whether it be, um, inciting a riot, assault on a staff member, um, it could be a stabbing, um, it could be trying to escape whatever, whatever the guidelines is to get sent to administrative segregation for six months or longer. Um, but then there's punitive segregation. Punitive segregation is 30, 30 days, might be 60 days, but that's when you're like, you have really, really, really limited contact. Um, and you're actually behind two doors, you're behind a door and then a cage. So there's like no, no light in there. And unless they want to open that door, um, but administrative segregation was a whole nother world. It was like prison inside of prison. Um, we, were, we were locked in the cell 23 hours a day. Um, we came out for showers. Um, they let out everybody part at a time. Um, but at that time, um, the, uh, you know, the, war, the wars between the cities were going on. So there was a lot of in-house violence going on. Um, so you always had to be on point, even when you're in segregation. I mean, there were instances while we're out, there were attacks, you know, just happened to happen. Uh, handcuffs get taken off, uh, shackles get removed, and all of a sudden someone else has a, a shank and you're the only one without one. Um, I, I've seen enough of that. Uh, I've seen COs bring in weapons because at, the, at that time, um, you know, COs were known gang members. Um, they, they ended up getting cleaned out too. You know, there was big investigations. Um, I think I sent you an article about 
uh, a, a, an investigation that that um took part in, in the prison system during those times. You did, and I will post that in the show notes so it could be accessible to anyone who wants to look at it and read it in more context. Yeah, and, and literally there was there was more instances than that. I mean, there was there was I mean between Summers and Cheshire, those were the two prisons at the time. I mean, there's you'll see the amount of correction officers who were arrested and convicted during those times. So, uh, you know, there was there were um, corrections officers who were arrested for bringing in state knives to gang members. Yeah, um, in order to uh, assault other inmates. So let me ask you this, if you don't mind me interrupting you for a moment. So I know there are, you have stories upon stories. My question to you is in light of this environment, I mean, you've painted this backdrop and I'm catching it. I'm understanding what you're sharing. How did you survive mentally? Not physically. How did you survive mentally? I think my mother, may she rest in peace. My mother was... um. No, my my mother was one of those mothers who she never gave up. She was like, okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm not. I'm not condoning nothing you did. You know, you're my son. You're being chastised right now. I couldn't chastise you tough enough, so you you ended up getting chastised by the by the justice system. But I'm still gonna be here to guide you, to talk to you about anything. Um, my mother, she just always prayed. She prayed for me. She always told me that she was praying for me. But besides that, um, I, I I fell in love with reading at the time. So I think that is what really like kept me, because like literally I'm in a cell 23 hours a day. Um, send me books, anybody send me books. Um, I just, I started reading anything. I, I'd read anything. I didn't, you know, a lot of people were reading a lot of educational stuff. At that time, when I was in SAG, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. I just wanted to read, read as much about anything as possible. I, you know, I read about other countries. I read about, other, you know, war, po- politics. I wanted to just read anything and everything, you know, to kind of broaden myself. Um, I always thought that I was smart anyway. So, you know, I just wanted to read anything. Um, and that's what I did. I just read a lot. Um, and then once I got out of segregation, um, you know, I really fell in love with like working in the library. I ran the library for years at, at, um, JB Gates. Um, so, you know, that was, that was my thing. So my sanity ended up coming from knowing that there was something else on the outside. Like I, I got away from being in there by reading the books and looking over the wall. That was your escapism, huh? Yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't watch a lot of TV in jail. A lot of people did. That wasn't my thing. I, I couldn't sit on a bed. Like, sometimes my wife, she gets upset with me because she's like, why can't you just sit here and watch TV? And I'm like, I don't want to, I can't just sit and watch TV. I just, you know, it's just something about sitting on a bed and watching television. I'm like, I never wanted to be that person. I never, even when I was in jail, I never just sat in the cell. Once, um, once I got out of SEG and I get movement, I, I had to get out. I, I went to school. I went to class. I took anything. Um, I was never going to just sit in a cell and rot. Uh, I've seen people do that, sit and vegetate in a cell. Um, I couldn't do that to myself. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that. I'm following you. So put me in the space where you are, where you're out. You've walked out. It's your last day. And 
what is in your mind, what's in the forefront of your mind, what do you want to do? So on your last day, as you walked out, what were you thinking? What did you want to do? Um, which instance? Okay. Cause I, I will say that, um, you know, in, in 2001, um, I was involved in a, in a, in a program called building bridges. Um, I wish they would bring it back. Um, and, and they kind of did in a way. Um, it was like a pilot program where people from outside came into the prison and ta- and, and got with you before you came out and kind of once you got out, they would, they would mentor you. They would bring you, you know, however, however, whatever it is that you needed, you know, because we've been in there 10, 15 years, you know, some of our families are, are dead. You know, some of our families are, are out of state. Um, some families can't do much for us because they have kids. Um, so I was lucky to go to a halfway house and, and, and be involved in, in this building bridges program. And I think that's where I got my, my passion for doing what I'm doing now. That, that was the, that was the spark. And, um, anybody who knows about building bridges knows that the rock reform the fingers, creating change. It started back then. So I had to bring that in because we're going to speak about that later, but that's where the foundation came from. Got you. So perfect segue. So you have this spark in you to do what you're currently doing now. How did you even come to do the work you're doing? Can you just explain it? Because everyone hasn't had the chance to even interact with you to know like, what's Mr. Miller doing now? So tell me. Okay. Well, um, the times that I I spent in, in uh, the halfway house, um, I didn't want to sit in there either, you know? So I said, okay, what can I do to get outside? Um, I don't have a job right now. Nobody's hiring me because of my, you know, my record. Um, you know, I spent months and months and months inside, uh, of the halfway house with no one trying to hire me because of the violence on my record. That's another part of that, you know, the, the equity that we just don't get, uh, you know, the second chance that we really don't get, Um, so I just decided that I would volunteer everywhere, um, anywhere, any program, any, any soup kitchen, any clothing bank, uh, anywhere that needed a hand, I would go and help. Um, whether it would be, uh, St. St. Thomas More on the Yale campus, uh, Loaves and Fish uh, on Olive and Chapel, um, uh, uh, the Easter Seals. Uh, when it was on uh, uh, Hamilton Street, um, I, I mean the, the downtown kitchen, uh, soup kitchen when the, on on Broadway. I mean, I just I just kind of network with everybody because that's how you meet people who may know people who will be willing to help you. Um, that's what I tell people now. Listen, don't be afraid to volunteer. Okay, you're you're not getting paid to just sit in the house, right? So go do something for somebody else. You might not get paid money, but you'll get paid something else in the long run. You just don't know yet. You know, you, you need a contact there who knows someone else who's going to assist you. Um, they don't understand that, you know, those, those connections and those contacts are very valuable. And, and in some senses, is more valuable than money. You know, some of the people that I've met, I mean, literally, I haven't even met them physically. Uh, I've met them like this, but they've been the best contacts because they've introduced me to other people who've introduced me to other people 
and so on and so forth. And because of that, I, I mean, I think that may be one of the reasons why I've connected with you. You, someone may have mentioned you, or vice versa, and here we are. So those are the those are the things that I I really look forward to. And they're, they're definitely more valuable than money. And I love that as a concept to, you know, you have this beautiful spirit of giving back and don't get dissuaded about record. Don't get dissuaded about what, you know, history tells us or history has been for an individual. There's this desire to serve still. I love that. Yes. I love that. Um, and, you know, that's the main thing. I, you know, throughout the years, you know, my main focus has always been on changing the perception of who we are Um, because they really don't know us you know because they don't want to get to know us and when I mean us I mean the the people like myself who've been in jail who came out of jail and don't and don't go back there's so many more of us than the ones that they highlight so much. They they highlight the repeat offenders. They going back. Here they go. This is the reason why we need to be tougher. Here they going back. But yet they don't know that there's so many more of us doing what I'm doing, or just being fathers, or just going to work. They might not be out in the community, but they're still citizens. You know, they're they're just out here not reoffending, not going back to jail. So, you know, I wanted to start highlighting us. My thing was, okay, for one, I'm going to get people like myself um, and we're going to tell their story on my platform of who they are. Okay, this is so-and-so. He spent 30 years in jail, but this is what he does now. I, I have a friend named Solomon May. He's amazing in the city. Everybody knows who Solomon May is. He is here for the kids. Literally, he, he teaches boxing. He's, he's, he's a youth, you know, mentor. He, he takes the kids. He teaches them the foundation of boxing. Uh, he trains them. He, listen, he's been doing this for years. You know, I want to I highlight us, the ones that are out here doing what we're doing, so maybe the perception of who we are can be changed. And, and that's all it was. That's all it was really about. And I like this part, too. And there's this um, connection that you and I have with the importance of our stories. And that's yes. part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you so badly, because I'm like, there is a story there that speaks volumes. So you're able to yeah. highlight the 80s, the 90s, what was going on. You're able to speak about what it was for the violence and the incarceration. But also you're able to tell us as a father, as a husband, as a, you know, a family member, as a citizen, what you're doing now and what you're doing now for brothers and sisters who are similarly situated. So tell us about yes. your business. Tell us about. Oh, okay. Well, again, we are reformed defenders creating change. And I just wanted mainly to, again, highlight who we were um, as, as individuals. I wanted, I wanted the world to see that, you know, you can come to us. We're, we're great people. You can, you can rely on us. There's, you know, give us a chance. There's, you know, I have, you know, people that, that I, I guide, I, I assist with, with housing coming out of jail. You know, we're, we want to be a connection to the guys, you know, we want to be a hand, um, whether it's clothing. Um, I just went and dropped off brand new clothing on Huntington Street. Uh, there's a pop-up uh, clothing bank over there on, on Huntington Street. My, my good friend Mel, um, who I also spent years and years in prison with, he has a pop-up uh, clothing pantry and, and in his front yard. I dropped clothing and food over there 
on a weekly basis. Um, it was just mainly wanting to try to assist us when they come out. You know, sometimes they don't have family. I have people in the halfway house right this minute, you know, they're calling me. I'm like, listen, I got you. I'm, I'm coming. Give me your sizes. I got some stuff here. Give me a minute. Um, but it's all just to help us um, showcase who we are um, and do for more. I mean, do for more people as we, as it goes by. Um, August 21st, 2020, right before COVID um, is when um, I, I got my LLC. I, I got my nonprofit. Um, and our, I, actually our first event because we were shut down was a Halloween party that we did. Um, but lately it's just been mainly making sure that we take care of the homeless, uh, people with mental health, which connects to the homeless. Uh, we take care of um, uh, uh, mental health facilities, independent living facilities. Um, we, we partnered with Continuum Care. Um, we partnered with so many pe different people through these past two years, and I'm so grateful and um, to those people who have uh, chose to partner with me and, and be a, a mentor to me. Look, I'm such a sponge. I, I'm, I by no means know everything. Um, I, I really took off ground running um, with what I had, with what passion I had, with what assistance I had, with what limited money I had, um, which, you know, is being funded by me and my wonderful wife and my wonderful supporters. Um, we literally have fed and clothed thousands in the last two years, um, countless amounts of people, uh, whether or not they've been burned out. Uh, we, we've helped people who with furniture. Uh, we've helped people with anything and everything that they needed to uh, house and, and uh, house themselves. Um, whatever it is that, that the people need, we've accommodated. Um, we have connections with everybody across the board. Um, I'm also, because of my love for uh, reentry, I'm also a member of the reentry roundtable. Um, so I haven't had much time to connect much because I'm so spread thin. And it's really only me along with this. I'm also partnered with, with Yale on this anti-violence uh, collaboration. We're, we're going out as community surveyors, you know, speaking to um, gun violence victims or people who have been impacted by gun violence and you know, there's not too much. I had to speak with her about how much we can talk about that. Um, I had to keep it kind of broad because it's it's still uh, the training is still ongoing and I can't get specific. But within the next two years, you know, it's a two year project that we we, we partnered with. So um, as the time goes on, we'll, we'll be letting more out. Yes. I have a final question and you're not ready for this question. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not ready for this question. Why? Why do you do what you do now? Why do you help? Why do you spread yourself thin? Why are you in the community probably more than your home? Why are you doing it? Because I'm them. I've been everybody that they are. And I'm not ashamed or, or embarrassed to say it. Um, I've been a drug dealer. I've been a prisoner. Um, I've been incarcerated. I've been homeless. Um, there was a time when, you know, I was so wild that my mother couldn't allow me to live with her. And I lived on the streets, um, literally lived on the streets. Uh, 
I've been a drug, I've been drug addicted. Um, I fought addiction. Um, uh, I've got mental health situations. I have anxiety, PTSD due to violence and things that has happened, you know, in jail. Um, I've been all of that. I've been that person who can't get somebody to listen to them or help them. I've been that person who, um, who only needed a bus pass and their, their mother or their brother wouldn't give it to them because they don't trust them from, you know, times past. Um, I've been that person. So I want to be the person that is going to give you the chance when you're ready or when you need it. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, you know, you, you know, we want somebody to give us that chance, but nobody will. Nobody would come and say, okay, I'm going to help you find a way. I'm going to help you navigate. You know, sometimes we don't know how to ask the, those people. So when I come into the community, everybody knows me. I don't care where you're from. Everybody knows Brett. And everybody knows Stefan now. I, I, I'm loved and known on every side of town in the city. Um, everybody knows me. I, I've known people from the 70s. To now, I know young kids. I know old kids. I got young. I got young guys come up to me and say, "Hey, I remember when when I was in jail, um, towards the end of my 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 sentence, and you know, you talked to me. You you know, what I'm saying you told me to stop stop doing that, or you know, you got to watch out that gang stuff that you're involved in because they're only going to use you, and you know, then all of a sudden when you need them, you ain't got you know, they're not going to be there. You know, I got people. No lie, I have a I have a message on a messenger. And I saved it. And it's from a guy. He says to me, I've been looking for you. And he says, you don't know it, but you might not remember, but you helped me learn how to read, for one, because when I was in jail, I was a literacy volunteer. Um, not only did you help me learn how to read, I ended up learning how to read so well that I read some of the stuff that those friends who I thought was my friends wrote about me. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So look, all I want to do, I do what I do now. Look, and I tell you right now, I don't get paid. I have no funding. Um, I, I have no grants. I haven't written a grant yet. Everything that, I'm, that, that I've been able to do have been from generous donations from, I have, amazing supporters my next door supporters they are amazing um what i mean brand new clothing sometimes they've gone to the store they've gone to the store i had a lady who was burned out of her house on truman street these people went to the store and brought her kids clothing because they lost everything what i mean i have people who literally will start a gofundme i had a, a kid in newhallville they literally gave him money to make sure that he was taking care of his family because you know his, his father had gotten incarcerated. I have a guy who who has a um who has a a storage facility who says if anybody needs anything they can come in here. The stuff that's left by people who don't want it no more they come in and get anything. He will rent a U-Haul and they can come and pick up anything they want and we can ship it to their house. And he will pay for it. These are the these are the connections that I've made, and I swear I am so blessed to have made them. Um, I'm so grateful for them. Um, it's sad to say, you know, but they say it all the time. The people who will support you most are the strangers. 
And I'm so grateful for those strangers who are now my friends. Um, I am so grateful for them. And I will continue doing what I do, whatever that, you know, look, I'm a steward. I'm only a steward. You know, um, God said that, you know, he will give you a little bit to see what you'll do with it. If you do right with it, he'll give you more. And these past two years, he's been, you know, I've been, I've been blessed with more people to assist me to do what I'm able to do with no money. For my birthday, I turned 50 on, on March 31st. I did a raffle and I, I gave away $50 to, you know, some people, you know, to a few people for my birthday. Okay. That was nothing, you know, but that's, you know, that's what we do. And literally on no budget, I, I, I'm able to do what I do. And I thank everybody who's assisting me. Juan Castillo, I thank you for, you know, seeing in me four years ago. Juan, as you say, returning citizens, we've, we're amazing people. And they need to get to know us and stop blocking us. I tell you this, you are surrounded with so much love. I'm encouraged by your story. And especially, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of interest in how you got to where you are, but that's just historical context. I'm so interested in the man that you are presenting now and the help and the love that you're showing to the community right now. That's a whole different entity, isn't it? Yes, it is. And and look, I I say that, I say that to say this, um, I, I really wish my mother was here because she, she would say, this was me all my life. You know, I have stories of living at 696 Orchard Street. It's not there anymore. But I have stories. There are stories of me bringing <laughs> bums home to my house, sitting them on my porch, and bringing them down sandwiches. And I really wish that my mother was here to, to tell these stories. But look, it's been in me. I've, I've always been that person who's willing to help, no matter who it is. Um, if I got it, you got it. Because I feel, you know, I grew up in that era where it does take a village. I, I love the push that that we we have here, um, you know, on, in the New Hallville area. There's, there's a lot of push for communities to start to come together more. Um, I love that they don't want that methadone clinic in, in the community. The same way we didn't want that firing range that's no longer there in our community where our kids would have to, you know, be subject to gunfire every day. You know, we don't even want to talk about how um, desensitized our children are because of the police academy firing range in the middle of our neighborhood. I mean, again, yeah. I'm going to pause okay. here, yeah, but we go, we go everywhere. We have a lot. We, we, have go, a lot. we can go on, on yes. this because the whole concept is yes. equity. It's equity through our lenses. It's not just equity in the justice yeah. system because that's very important. But now we're back in the neighborhood. We're yeah. back with our families. We're back with the kids. Let's talk about the yes. equity there. But okay, I'm going to okay. pause the phone because you have more to tell me and I have more yes. to hear from you. Let me just pause and say thank, thank you, you so much because- really have brought it to this full circle conversation and you've really enlightened me and put me in this encouraging space. Thank you. Your story is encouraging and I really appreciate it. And I thank well, you for Thank you for having me. And again, if we talk again, I hope to, you know, have much, much more already done to bring to you. Until next thank time. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Thanks for listening in today. 
Special thanks to our producer, Raynette Shafu and executive producer, David DeRoche. Shout out to the Fluid Truth Crew for their assistance. That's Jillian Catalano and Jake McCarthy. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn all about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts. Yes, if you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. The address is qupodcast at qu.edu. All right, that's it for today. Till next time. 